Right. Welcome to Connection Point Church. Uh, I'm glad that y'all are here today. If you are new, uh, my name is Joel Halpin. I'm the pastor of this church, and we've been going through a series called Happy, and we truly, truly want to uh, not only talk about being happy, but we want you to be happy. And I really believe that as Christ followers, as people who uh, are committed to a church and to a, 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 the body of Christ, we should reflect our Creator. And if we're going to reflect our Creator, you should have a little bit of happiness in your life. And so this is a, a very serious topic, even though we're talking about happiness. And as I was thinking about this, and by the way, just when I was walking up here, I thought, you know what, we started off with hip-hop this morning and went straight to a banjo, and uh, that's unusual. And then we also, uh, I believe that Phil rhymed debauchery, which that might not have ever been done before. So I was pretty impressed with, with, with that. But as we talk about happiness, I thought, you know what, we're at least going to uh, start off uh, and mention a, an X factor that we deal with now that Paul did not deal with. You know, Paul was writing this, this letter to the Philippian church when he was in prison on death row. And so it's amazing when we read this joyful letter that he's so joyful even though he's on death row. But I wonder if he had social media, how he would have been feeling. And so uh, I was thinking about this, this kind of X factor, because I do think that our happiness and joy uh, has been affected by social media. In fact, we know statistically, uh, I've said this before, the, the suicide rate and the depression rate in teenage girls since the invention of Instagram has more than doubled. In fact, it's gone up almost four times. And so we know that happiness is affected by social media. Now, I want to do a poll, and since most of you, uh, I won't say you lie in church, but I'll say most of you are, are, don't readily uh, respond to all of my polls when I ask you to raise your hand. I just want to know, who in here has a Facebook account? I want you to raise your hand. Okay? You, by the way, are the people that my son calls old, okay? <laughs> I don't care how old you are, my son says you're old. Um, how many have an Instagram account? Okay. How many have a TikTok account? All right, okay, now, how many of you have never heard of TikTok? Okay, good, let me explain to the old people, okay? Now, I was, uh, at Christmas break, my nieces came over, and they excused themselves for moments at a time, about five to ten minutes, and they would, in a matter of five minutes, they would come up with a choreographed routine and they could, I'm telling you that cheerleading squads go months trying to do what they did in five minutes. They were doing dances, they were all this, and somehow had music immediately. And I was like, I got, I'm, I'm, I'm interested, this is, this is fascinating. I watched them do this and they upload it to a social media. And I got a, uh, a TikTok account, I'm not going to give you my name because you don't need to know. But I'll tell you this, every time I've ever been on TikTok... It is the most addictive thing. I, it is 10 times worse as far as being addictive to, uh, than Facebook. Now, I know everyone in here has gotten into a point where you're scrolling the Facebook videos, you're scrolling Facebook, just your feed or Instagram's a little worse than Facebook. Do not get on TikTok if you struggle with being addicted because these people put in work. Now, I get on Facebook and I'm like, you know what? 
I, I can show you what I ate last night. That's not a big deal. I can show you. But you get on TikTok, and I don't even feel worthy enough to, to upload a video. I probably will never actually upload a TikTok video because they put in so much work to get one video. I don't know how they come up with these ideas, but it is so addictive. And I've been thinking about just how social media, so by the way, I deleted the app. I can't keep TikTok on my phone because it will suck the time away from my day. And uh, the interesting thing about it, though, is I started thinking about the dangerous things of social media, and I say this a lot, and so much that my, my kids are like, come on, old man, quit talking about it. We know it's dangerous. Okay? But I'm telling you that even worse than the thousand selfies and the people that get on and just doing selfies and to me, there's this dangerous trend of many of us who never upload anything, but yet we cannot help but watch and spy and stalk, and we're always watching what people are doing. And in the back of our mind, we, whether we know it or not, there's this little thought that man, I am missing out on something. I'm a little less complete than that person. They seem to have it all together. And even though we know in our minds, we know that that's not the real them. We know it. But when you get stuck in, in the vortex, you get stuck in the loop, you can't help but begin to say, you know what? I wish I looked like that. I wish I was in that place. I wish I had what they had. I wish I had the social life that some of the people that I see have. I wish I had the creativity of, if I didn't ounce of the creativity the people on TikTok have, I feel like this, y'all would be blown away by how this, this sermons and stuff. They're, it's amazing. I was reading a book in preparation for the series called, um, that talked about uh, happiness, and it was by a man named Dennis Prager, which is a Jewish guy. And one of the things he said that really struck a chord with me, though, is he, he said, one of the biggest hindrances we have to happiness is what he called the missing tile syndrome. I want you to look at the ceiling, okay? This is a pretty nice ceiling, okay? Now, if you were to look at this ceiling and you were to see one of these tiles totally missing, every time that you walked into this room, what would be your tendency? It would be to look up and to see, man, there's one missing tile. And he talks about the fact that every single person in life has a missing tile in their life. And all of us have different missing tiles. But when you have a missing tile in your ceiling, you cannot look at a perfect ceiling without seeing the one missing tile. And he says this is, this is how most of us go through life is we get on, maybe it's on social media, you get on and you see, man, that one person, they've got a flat stomach. Wow. I had a flat stomach, then maybe I would have that many followers. Or, or we look, and it, it's a lot of different things that, that we see, and, it, it, and it's never the same for, for different people. In fact, there are studies that show, and I didn't know this, but there are studies that show if you are a bald man and you walk into a room, one of the first things you notice is how many people have hair. And I thought to myself, you know what? I've, that's never, I've never thought about that. But... They also, they've, they've done other studies that show if you are uh, wanting and desiring to have a kid, and some of you have been through this, and you walk into church and you say, you know what, every, single, every person here has kids, and I'm the only one here without kids. 
And by the way, statistically, this church has the same amount of kids as any other group you're going to be in, except for we added three last one. We got, we got the O'Neills over there that are skewing us a little bit with our three in one year. But statistically, it's no different. And the same could be said for singleness. The same could be said for weight. The same could be said for anything that you have that, that, that's your one missing tile. If I just had this house that everybody else seems to be in a nice house or a nice car, if there's one thing, all of us have these things that are our missing tiles. And you know what? You can fix a ceiling, but the most dangerous part of the missing tile syndrome is the fact that you cannot ever totally complete yourself. Now you, uh, in fact, in the book, Dennis Prager says, you know what? You've got options. If you have a missing tile, you can go get it sometimes. If your missing tile is, you know what, hey, I, 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 if it's singleness, hey, I want to, uh, I'm going to go get married. You could just go get married, and, and that may or may not fix it. You could go, if it's a car, hey, I, I want a better car. I want to be a, you know, a fancy car. I want to be at this, you know, people to think I'm at this level. You could go fill in that tile, and you maybe just go get it. But what happens then is you realize I didn't just have one missing tile, I had another one, but that one was just the one at the time. And so, if you, rep- if you just get the, that what you, you thought you were missing, what you'll find out is you have another missing tile. In fact, you have another missing tile. He says you can also forget it. You could just say, you know what, I'll never have it, I'm never going to have it. The problem with that is that every time you see it, you'll get a little bit less happy, and you'll never have joy. And he, with the solution he says we should look to is he sh- you should try to replace it. You should begin to see that whatever your missing tile is, you've got to replace it and see that it, you may never going to complete your ceiling, so to speak. But if you can really replace what it is that, man, if I could just, this is really what's important in my life. And one of the examples that he gives is many of us go to work and we think, you know what, if I'll never be the boss, I'll never be able to, to get uh, to the, the status I want to get at work. He said, but what if you instead said, you know what, I want to get to that status in my home. I want to be a better father this year rather than, and you can replace your missing tile. And he said, that's for him the best option. But here's the thing that we all deal with and I want to talk about today. That we obsess on what we do not have. And because of this, it creates a, a, a feeling that we will never have happiness because we will never have complete satisfaction. Now, what's interesting about this is when Paul talks about this, one of the first things that he is going to teach us today is happiness doesn't mean complete satisfaction. Okay, Happiness doesn't mean complete satisfaction. If you think you know what, as soon as I get everything I need and, and, and all these holes are filled, then I will be happy. You will never be happy. Let's look at what Paul says. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 3. And by the way, if you don't uh, have a, 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 um, a printed Bible, you can get on your phone. There's a Bible app. Or you can just go to connectionpoint.life. You can find my sermon notes there and follow along. It'll also be on the screen. Connectionpoint.life. Scroll down, find sermon notes. And that's a great place. And by the way, with the sermon notes, you can actually take notes on your phone and have them emailed to you um, if you want to refer back to this. So Philippians chapter 3, Paul starts off, and I love the way he starts off chapter 3, 
Finally, my brothers, and it reminds me of myself when I preach in that we're only halfway done with a book, but yet he's already saying, hey, in conclusion, and finally, some of you, you hear me say in conclusion, and by now you know, okay, we're halfway done. That's not bad. Okay, just kidding. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Every single week he has said, rejoice in the Lord. He's in prison on death row, and every single Lord, or time he has said, man, rejoice in what God is doing. Rejoice in the Lord. Even in the prison cell, rejoice. God is doing some great things. Rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing is no trouble to me and is safe for you. In other words, he says, listen, I'm going to keep talking about Jesus in this, this sermon. You ever come to church and be like, oh my gosh, he's talking about Jesus again. What Paul is saying is, hey, I could talk about Jesus all day. That is how great he is in my life. And I know there's a tendency uh, as Christ followers in living in the now that we think, you know what, we have so much more advancement. There's so much is the solution really can't be Jesus to everything. Paul would say, you know what, I I really think what you're going to find when it comes to satisfaction is Jesus. And what he says is, look out for the dogs. This is in verse two. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. For those, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ and put no confidence in the flesh. Now, this is going to give us some context to why he's writing this particular chapter. There's a group of people at the church he's writing to. This was a church he started. It's in Philippi, which is uh, Macedonia, Greece uh, is what we would think about it. It's a very nice, big city. A lot of opportunity there. And he started this church, and there weren't a lot of Jewish people. There weren't a lot of believers there. And so this church has grown, and it's really gotten stronger. And as it's grown, there are some people that have moved in that are formerly Jews, and now they've kind of been converted to Christianity. And and theologians call them the Judaizers, okay? So if you really want to be uh, impressed today, somebody, you know, ask you what the sermon was about, you say, oh, we talked about the Judaizers and their attack on the Philippian church, and people would be like, ah. What the Judaizers said is this. They were, they were Jewish people, and they said, man, we love the fact the Messiah has come. We love the fact you're preaching about Jesus, but you've got all these people who are Gentiles, which Gentile is simply a non-Jewish person. Most of us in here would be Gentiles. We're not Jewish. And so the What they were saying to these Gentile believers is the Gentiles need to be circumcised. They need to become, basically, they need to convert to Judaism. If they become Jewish people, they'll be invited in because they know Jesus, but they need Jesus plus circumcision. Now, for you ladies, you're like, hey, big deal, who cares? To us guys that are a little older... Uh, not, you know, most Jews were, uh, were circumcised on the eighth day before. And so uh, converting as an adult, <laughs> that's kind of a, a hindrance there. So Paul has been preaching in this church, though. He's been working and working to get this message across to these, uh, to these people in Philippi that, listen, Jesus is so incredible. The reason that I can talk about this all day is because Jesus has changed my life, and it's simply because of his goodness, and I did nothing. And that's what Paul will say over and over again. I did nothing to deserve the love that Jesus gave to me. And then he's got these people that come in, and they say, listen, Jesus is great. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Savior. But it's Jesus plus circumcision. And you could change circumcision to anything. and wouldn't matter to Paul. But I want you to see what he does here. He says, look out for the dogs. 
Now, dogs uh, are, are an unclean animal, and it was known at that time that Jewish people would call Gentiles dogs. He would call them, they, basically, if you were Jewish and you're not in church and you just saw a Gentile, you'd be, what, what a dog, what an unclean person. They were filth, they, they were ceremonially unclean, they were far from God. And so the first thing that Paul does is he's talking about these Jewish people, and he says, they're the dogs. They're the ones that are unclean before God. The ones who says it's Jesus plus anything else. Jesus plus going to church. Jesus plus be a good person. Jesus plus anyone who, who, who's saying, hey, we're the real, we're, we're the, the, these Judaizers are saying we're the real church. We're the real ones because we are, are fully Jewish as well. He says, they're the dogs. So watch out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Now, the Jewish uh, people, the Judaizers, considered Gentiles evildoers. Jewish people spent their life trying to follow the law, trying to obey all of the rules that God had set. And so Paul looks at them and says, they're evildoers. They're trying to be righteous. And, and, and think about how scandalous this is if you're a, a church person, if you're a Jewish person, and you're like, I follow the, the whole law. I've tried to be a good person. I've tried to do everything God has asked. And he, Paul says, you are an evildoer if you think that you're getting close to God just by going to church, just by doing the right things, by, by thinking the right way. and doing the, You are an evil person if you think that Jesus plus anything is how you get to God. And then the last one, the real thorn that he gives to them. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. In Galatians, he even goes a step further. He goes, look out for those who emasculate themselves. And he's talking to Jewish people who say... You have to be circumcised in order to be a part of the church. In order to follow God, you have to. And circumcision represented a covenant that God had made with the Jewish people. And so basically what Jewish people were saying, if you were, if you were circumcised, then you were allowed into the covenant. But Jesus came and he says, listen, the blood, uh, you remember every time we receive communion, every time we do the Lord's Supper, we, we drink from the cup. And, and Jesus says when in uh, this time, he says, when you drink of this cup, this is a cup of the new covenant, the new covenant of my blood. Because Jesus shed his blood, all are welcome into the family of God. And so Paul is going right after these people who say, Jesus plus anything. And understand when it comes to missing tiles, these people are seeking God. And to have people say, you know what, you're not quite complete. You're not quite who God wants you to be. They put this image of, of who you could be. You could be someone who's close to God. You could be if you were better, if you were just a little better. And this is where most of us fall, fall short because we have this image in our mind of who we could be if we were just a little better. If I was just, I'd be happy if I could just overcome this one sin I've been struggling with. You know what, if I could just stop this addiction that I've, has plagued me in my life, if I could just get past this, then God would be happy with me. If I could just defeat this one thing, if I could just look how I think I should look, if I could just get this one thing. I know Jesus forgives me of my sins, but it's Jesus, and then I could be happy if I could just get this. But understand, happiness doesn't come from complete satisfaction. It doesn't. And so Paul sees this mentality and he refutes it by, first of all, giving three attacks on them. And then he's going to show what the church is. And he gives three proofs of the church. He says, for we are the circumcision. So he says to the uncircumcised people, 
the, the Gentiles, he says, we are the true covenant people. We are the true people that God is close to because we are, we are in this new covenant. He says, we are the circumcision. We worship God by the spirit of God, not by, and he's contrasting that with evildoers. They, they're, they're being evil when they try to be good enough for God. We worship God simply in spirit. In other words, we don't think that because we showed up at church, now God likes us a little more. We got our little, our star chart, got one little star today, and we're, God likes us a little more. We worship God knowing that, listen, we're sinners. It's not about what we do. If we were to try to be good enough for God, that would be considered evil in the sight of God. And the last thing he says is we put no confidence in the flesh. This is the hardest thing for people who have grown up in church to ever reconcile. Paul says we put, does he say we put a little confidence in the flesh? He says we put no confidence in the flesh. In other words, to circumcision, no confidence. But also to showing up, hey, I, I, I grew up in church. He says no confidence in anything that we have done. We put no confidence that when we stand before God, God's going to say, oh, well, you check these boxes off. We put no confidence. We trust wholly in God. When it comes to this image of, if I just had that, you know what, I'm a Christian, I've got Jesus in my heart, but I also, I'll be happy when I get this. He says, listen, that is never going to, it's Jesus plus anything is evil and will leave you far from God. It is just Jesus, and he preaches this. The reason that we are the church, that we are the true church, is because we haven't tried to accomplish it. We haven't tried to say we deserve this. It's simply that we have the heart of God, that we worship in spirit. Now, second thing I want you to see is that complete satisfaction does not exist. Not only does happiness not depend on complete satisfaction, that is you becoming everyone, you filling in all your tiles. That doesn't even exist. It is impossible for you to fill in every missing tile in your life. It's just the way it is. Now, I was, uh, again, one of the books I was reading was talking about this, and he, it was, again, the same book. The author's Jewish, and he was talking about a roommate that he had was Jewish, and his roommate was single. And his roommate was always uh, complaining about how he could never find uh, a girlfriend. He could never find someone to go out with him. And every once in a while he'd go out on dates and he would never go out on a second date. And he finally, he sat down with his roommate and he said, what's, what's the deal? I don't understand why you got on all these dates, but you're not ever going on a second date. And he said, well, you know, I've kind of figured out what I'm looking for. And, you know, being a Jewish person, I want, I want a girl who loves the Torah, who knows the Old Testament, who, who studies it every day. And he said, and I also want someone who looks like a Playboy bunny. And he had a subscription to Playboy, and he wanted a girl that was a Playboy bunny that studied the Torah every day. And it came to, just as a thought, once he heard this, that it could be that that combination doesn't actually exist in life. Now, I'm not saying it can't, but it could be that if that's the only thing you're waiting for, that complete satisfaction doesn't even exist. In fact, his, uh, eventually this guy did get married, and I think he lowered both standards a little bit. Now, Paul is about to make the strongest case 
that complete satisfaction does not exist. And when you read this at first, it's going to sound like he's boasting. But as you read the whole thing, you're going to see the point he's trying to make. In verse 4, he says this. He says, I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone thinks, and he, remember, he's, he's talking to these, the Gentiles in his church or, or to the Christians in his church, but he's talking at these people who are saying it's Jesus plus this, Jesus plus being good, Jesus plus good works, Jesus plus circumcision, Jesus plus being holy, okay? If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in his flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day. That means uh, that he, he followed the Jewish laws. His parents followed the Jewish laws. He says, I'm of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. Now, this is a big deal. The first uh, king of Israel was from the tribe of Benjamin. In fact, when you trace your lineage, one of the fascinating things about Jewish people is that there are certain people who can trace their lineage all the way back to Jacob, whose name was Israel. But did you know that only two tribes can do that? Ten of the tribes lost their lineage when they were assimilated into uh, the Assyrian Empire. Now, the, the kingdom of Israel divided. Ancient history, okay? And ten of the tribes well, fell, and they were, they were carried off into, um, uh, into Assyria, and they were assimilated into the people. And if you were of, you don't know anyone who's from the tribe of Dan anymore. You just don't know them. Or Issachar, you don't know because they were assimilated into the Assyrian Empire. But two of the tribes, they, they held out and they weren't assimilated. Benjamin and Judah. And those two tribes if it, are, are very important. In fact, the reason we know that Jesus was, he was from the tribe of Judah. They were, he was from David's tribe, and that's how we know. So Paul says, hey, some of those guys don't even know their full lineage. They, they only know from the Assyrian Empire on, but they, they were lost in the ten tribes. But, but me, I can trace my lineage all the way to Benjamin, all the way to the son of Israel himself. He goes on and he says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. It means he's probably speaking Hebrew. He is probably uh, um, as Hebrew as you can get. As to the law, a Pharisee. A Pharisee is a big deal. That means he didn't try to keep the law. That meant he kept the law. We think, you know, nobody could keep all 613 laws that we see. No, no, no. The Pharisees spent their day. Their job was to obey every law in the Old Testament, and they did it. And they would walk around with their heads high because they know you didn't do it. They did it. And so Paul says, you know what? I've kept the law. I've kept the entire law. As to zeal, I persecuted the church. I was so on fire for God that I would actually go out, and if you were not uh, uh, believing what I believed, I would persecute. He would go into churches and carry off believers in, in Jesus. He said, I was so zealous. I was so pumped up about it. He says, under the law, I am blameless. He says, if you want to talk about having all your tiles, I'm as close. I'm sure that they probably redacted it, but I bet he went on to say, I have six-pack abs, I've got it, I don't drink or smoke, I don't do any of that stuff, or chew or go with girls that do, and that's the saying. I don't do any of that. He's a, he's a, got it all. He has no missing tiles. Now look what he says about that, though. He says, but whatever I gain, whatever, I, I, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. 
Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Now, have you ever had that moment when you graduate college or maybe you move out or whatever, and for some of us, you've had this experience where your mom or dad, they come over to your house with like four boxes of all your stuff, and they're just like, here you go. And it's representing of like your entire life, and they just got it stacked in boxes. Have y'all ever had that experience? My parents brought over all my baseball cards. All of my baseball cards that I, when I was 10 years old, I swore, man, these are going to make me rich. This is going to change. But, you know, this is what my life is. I'll probably set, deal baseball cards someday. This is going to be everything. And you know where those baseball cards are? They're in the exact same spot they were from the day they dropped them off. They're up in the attic, and I don't think I've looked at them maybe to move them from here to there. And in fact, I remember my grandfather used to say, whenever he would find out how much we spent on a, a baseball card, he said, you know, instead of buying that baseball card, you could buy a steady growth mutual fund and you'll be a millionaire when you're my age. And he would say that to us every time. And you know what? I did not ever buy the mutual fund. I should have. But I look at all these boxes that are in the same boxes as the day they were dropped off. My yearbooks, who else now? I mean, photo out, whatever it is. And I think, you know what? It's really not a big deal to me anymore. Everything about my life, and I don't, I don't even go up, to, I'm not even going to go, I put it in my attic just because I don't want to deal with it. In fact, I'm going to let my kids deal with it someday and many years from now, I hope, but they'll get to deal with it. And you know what they're probably going to do? They're probably going to put it up in their attic and let their kids deal with it, I imagine. Or they might just throw it away. Now, I say all that because Paul, he looks at his life. He looks at everything he's accomplished. And what does he say? You know what? It was a waste of time. Trying to be good enough. He was on this, this rat race. He was on this, this hamster wheel. And he was always trying to be better than he was. He was always trying to be better than the next person, to be holier than now. He was always trying to be that better person. He says, I, I wasted my time. And now he gets very, very strong. He says, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing uh, worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish. This word rubbish is nicely translated by your Bible translators because the word means animal excrement. It would be a curse word. Paul had a potty mouth, apparently, okay? <laughs> this would have been a four-letter word. And he says this to show you how big a deal it is to waste his life trying to be the best, the, you know, the best on the gram, the best on Facebook. He said, I wasted my life when I was going after those things. When I thought I was at the top of the mountain. He says, now I look at it and all I think about is that uh, I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Now, if you're not a Christ follower, or if you're just nominally, you come to church every once in a while, this makes no sense how a man in prison can be so excited to talk about Jesus. But if you see a little bit about his life being all about trying to, to keep up with the Joneses, trying to be holy, trying to always make sure that he was the good person, and then all of a sudden he comes and he finds, out, he finds out, you know what, Christ forgave me, and it didn't matter what I do, it was his goodness, not mine. And for Paul, it was just so freeing to know, 
I can get off the hamster wheel. I can get out of the rat race. You know what? There's really not a long list of things I got to do. And how many of us, we look at our lives and we think, man, I'm a disappointment. You know what? I'm not a good enough mother. I'm not a good enough father. I'm not good enough. At, uh, you know, maybe you had a marriage that failed. Maybe you had a, a, a business that failed. Maybe you, you had a failure and you're like, I'll never live up to who I should be. And Paul says, when I was invited off that, when I said, you know what? All I need to do is find my father. Just be in the, in the, in the family of God. When I was invited into that, it was a relief that I didn't have to be good enough. It was a relief that I didn't have to be better than people, even though, you know, a lot of you would say I was. It was a relief when I found out God loves me anyway, even in my failures. Now, he's going to, in three verses, he's going to lay out what it means to be saved in Christ, okay? When we talk about, hey, I got saved or salvation, it's, it's more than just this prayer some of us prayed and it really didn't change our life. He's going to lay this out in three verses. Verse 9, this is what he says. He said, and I, it finishes with verse 8. He says, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, a righteousness from God that depends on faith. So what he's saying here is the first step uh, of when we talk about what it means to be saved or be a Christ follower, the, the, the big term would be justification, okay? justified before God. And what he says is, someday I'm going to stand before God. And instead of them looking at Paul and saying, Paul, you are a Pharisee, you are this and that and this and that and this and that. He says, I just want them to look and to see Jesus. And he says, I'm going to be found in Christ. So the, the image here being, I'm going to go hide behind Jesus. And when they look at Paul, Paul, why should you enter the kingdom of heaven? Why should you have a relationship with God? They're just going to look at Jesus. That's the first step is we're justified by the work of Christ, not anything. None of us stand up and say, well, you know, I was better than the person next to me. I was better than, you know, I was, I was good at this. None of us can look and say, hey, I completed, I filled in some of my tiles. So he says the first thing is I'm going to be justified. I'm going to be found in Christ. But it goes on in verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and, be, and may share in his sufferings becoming like him in death. Now that sounds gruesome, but what he's saying here is, listen, my entire life is going to be following Jesus. I just want to know my Savior more, know God more. That's the only job I have. And it may, may lead me to times when I am suffering for him, trying to be like Christ. It may be times that they get really hard because I'm trying to be like Jesus, but I was sharing him. I might even give my life here. That might be a part of it. But he says, my entire life is no longer about my job. It's no longer about was, uh, would people look at me and say, man, that's a, a great guy. He's better than, no, my entire life is going to be about me just knowing Jesus more and trying to conform my life to him. We call this theologically sanctification, okay? It's a process in which God will just begin to change our heart. We begin to desire, to desire the things of God. And, and some of us, we can't even fathom that right now. We're struggling. You're struggling with sins. You're struggling with habits you don't think you could ever break. And right now, you, some, of you, some of us don't even want to break those sins. We don't want that. But as we follow Christ, what happens is we begin to know him, and it changes our heart. We begin to desire the things of God. And even if it leads us to suffering on his behalf, some of us are willing to do that because, man, we've seen this new life 
that's possible. The, the last part of, of being saved or following Christ is called glorification. It's the, verse 11, by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. You see, in Christ, we are found in him. It's not us, it's all him. And then we live our life just trying to know him more, know him more and follow his path. And there's going to come a day in which you will leave this earth. And you're going to wonder, am I good enough? And you are going to attain the resurrection of the dead. You are going to be raised to go to heaven. And it's not because of anything you did. It's because you were justified by Christ. You were sanctified. You were made holy by him. And then you were glorified. You were raised up because of him. That is what drew Paul to write such a joyous letter in the midst of a prison cell. And so some of us, are, that's great, Joel, but that's all holiness, and that's not exactly how I live my life day to day. I don't exactly, you know, sanctify my life. Think of it as, man, I am just a holy person now. I just want to read the end. Only Jesus completely satisfies. That was the point I was supposed to have told you before this last uh, Paul in 12 through the end of this, Paul, uh, he's going to go back and he's going to reset. And he's going to say, let's just be real for a little bit. So I just want to read the, last of this, the rest of this for you real quick. So he's just told you how to be perfect in Christ, all this stuff. And then he says this, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, to which all of us are like, oh, good, okay. But I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. In other words, I'm not preaching to you this because, hey, I've been glorified in Christ. Hey, I've accomplished this. Paul's still struggling with sins. He's still struggling and trying to overcome sins. He is relishing the fact that he knows someday... As he goes through this process, someday he's going to be made perfect. He's going to be glorified and live forever in heaven with God. But he's not there yet, and he's honest about it. He says, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on for the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Some of you need to hear that. Some of you need to understand that the Christian life is a lot of forgetting what lies behind, forgetting what we struggle with, and forgetting about the sins that we committed because we are no longer found in what we do. And that means the good things and the bad things. Some of us need to understand that you are forgiven of your past, that your past has been made clean, and you forget what lies behind. And we strive forward to be like Christ, and even Paul did not attain it while he was alive. Therefore, you can lower your bar just a little bit, and you can have some peace of knowing you're following Christ. He says, let those of us who are mature think this way, and if any of you don't think this way, eventually God's going to show it to you. As you follow Christ, as you know Christ, you're going to eventually, it's going to be revealed. You know what? You cannot be perfect. Your kids cannot be perfect. No one around you, even your fellow church members, are not perfect. And you're going to see their faults. And as we mature, we're able to say, you know what? Christ is working on all of us. Only let us hold to what we have attained. He says, quit looking at the missing tile. And let's look at the 99 tiles. That, let's look at all that God has done in your life. He's forgiven you when you are in Christ. He's, he's invited you into the family of God despite your past, no matter who you are in here. You got something that a lot of people someday are going to really, really wish they had. 
They're going to be, you're going to be forever in heaven, not because of what you did. You know, you've got a church family here. You've been invited into it. And if you're not a member here, you're invited into a church family of people who will, will actually love you in your imperfection, will actually walk through you when you make mistakes, will stick by you. That's, that's part of it. You've got a lot in Christ. We've got a lot of tiles. And all we do sometimes as Christians is look at the missing tiles. And you may never fill those in, but, God is, but Paul is saying, let us not forget of what we do have. We have the knowledge of knowing we are forever going to live with Christ. And I just want to read the end of it, and then we really will close at the end here. In fact, I'll go ahead and invite the band up just to make myself in this thing, okay? <laughs> band, y'all come on up. Brothers, join in imitating me. And he's not saying imitate me because I'm perfect. He's, he just said I'm not perfect. It says, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on, on those who walk according to the example you have seen in us. In other words, those who are really walking in Christ, admitting they're not perfect. Don't follow the people who think they're perfect. Follow those who are repenting of their sins and know they're not perfect. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross. There are people that were in our church, he's saying. And now they're enemies of, the Christ, of Christ because they were just really going through a charade. He says this, their end is their destruction, their God is their belly. What he's saying is there are people that you know that whenever they have a desire, they just go and fulfill it. Their God is their belly. They're always seeking satisfaction. And he's, he's saying now we're on a, on a different path of life. We're, we're seeking to glorify God. And even when we struggle, we'll repent of it, but we won't glorify it. We won't look around and say, oh man, you wouldn't believe I satisfied every desire I had last night. That's not what we'll do as we know Christ. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven. We await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies and be like his glorious body. Paul's saying, you're going to get a six-pack someday. No, I'm just kidding. He says, by the power that enables him even to subject all things. There's a quote by C.S. Lewis. He says this. C.S. Lewis says, if you study history, the Christians who made the most of this world were those who thought the most of the next world. You see, you cannot understand happiness. You'll never understand this life at all if you don't view it in, in light of eternity. This is not all there is. What you do in this life, what you accomplish in this life, how far you get in this life it is, is not all there is. And as Christ followers, we live with this hope, and it is hard for us sometimes to have this perspective, but we live with this hope that this is just the warm-up. And that instead of us spending our time trying to accomplish and, and fill in every single thing and be happy here, Paul says we live knowing that if we are found in Christ Jesus here, we will be found with him there. You know, the worst day of my life was when I was in college. And I just found out I was probably going to fail some courses. And in my life, I thought every accomplishment that... <laughs> that 18 or 20 year old Joel had ever accomplished was going to fall and crumble. Can you imagine? And I went and I, I, I drove home, skipped school, drove home and, my, and talked with my dad. And I told him, hey, I think I'm going to fail out of school. I don't think I'm going to graduate college. My dad said, I didn't graduate college. I said, I don't think I'm going to get uh, to be a doctor like I was going to try to be a doctor. He said, I'm not a doctor. And uh, and I started telling him all these things I was never going to do and that this failing this, this one semester in school, all that it, it was going to mean for the future of my life. 
And my dad finally said, you know, all I expect from you is that you're my son. And he said, I don't care if you go and get a job at the, the gas station down the street. He says, as long as you're really working hard, really my only expectation is that you're my son. And I can't tell you how my life changed that day when I found out that everything in this world is not about how much I'm going to be able to do. When my dad just took that off and said, listen, it's simply be my son. That's all he wanted from me. And everything up to that point, I was trying to make my dad proud. That was a big part of why I was driven to even consider being a doctor. What Paul says is, listen, I don't know what rat race you're running. I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know what you think will complete you. But the only thing that's expected of you is for you to know Christ and be found in him. And God takes care of all the rest. Many of you brought in some burdens in. I know that you bring in burdens every single week. Maybe it's failures that you've had happen to you internally, or maybe it's something that's happened outside. But I want to let you know, you are found in Christ. And that there is no missing tile that will fix it. But God has given us his son. Let's pray. Lord, any of us in here that came in here and thought, you know what? I've got so much in life that I'm supposed to do and I'm not achieving any of it. Or maybe we're at a point in life where we think, you know what? I didn't think I'd be here. I thought I would be better off. I thought I would be in this relationship. I thought I would be at this different point financially. I thought I would be a different person. I didn't think I'd still be struggling with this. Lord, I pray that you will remove the burdens so that we're no longer found in our identities. But we can know what it means to just be in the family of God, just be a child of God. So Lord, pray that all of us in here will just renew our, our, our commitment to you. Find our life in you. Spend our, our days trying to know you and the power of your resurrection, not trying to resurrect ourselves. Knowing that someday you're going to complete what we have started. Someday you're going to make us into who we really need to be. And it's not on us. Lord, I pray we walk out of your lighter knowing that it's the expectations we bring in are not your expectations. You simply love us. And we thank you. And may we find happiness in the prison cell because of Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.